0: How does artificial intelligence influence the life of Jewish college students? I'm Robert Hunt, and this is Interfaith Encounters from the Digitally Mediated Ministries Lab at Perkins School of Theology in Southern Methodist University. Today, I'm with four students from SMU, sharing their experience of AI and what it means to their faith. Hello everybody, I'm Nathan
1: popko Ginsburg. I am a junior, double majoring in finance and political science, and I am originally from San Diego, California.
2: I'm Jonathan Zanzuri. I'm a double major as well, finance and economics. I'm from Dallas, and I'm also grateful to be here today.
3: Hey, how's it going? I'm Dean Sandler. I'm a South African Jew from San Diego. And I'm here at Southern Methodist University studying biology on the pre-med track, as well as a minor in Spanish.
4: Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan Wartell-Cortez. I'm a Jew from Dallas, born and raised here, 22 years old, about to graduate. Yeah, double majoring in biology and music composition, so looking to take that to medical school very soon. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much to Nathan for inviting us to this wonderful podcast.
1: Perfect. Well, I can begin, I guess, with a little bit of a story regarding ChatGPT, which is the new hot and -and up-and-coming AI instrument. I think for me, it was AI was always in the back of my head. You know, it was always something that you kind of talked about and you heard about and you knew that was up-and-coming regarding, you know, cars and using AI technology in order to be able to drive themselves or artificial intelligence, helping researchers or, you know, participating in... TV shows, like I'm pretty sure IBM Watson's. But then last semester during finals week, I remember vividly hearing about this new thing called ChatGPT, which is basically like a futuristic version of Google where you could plug in anything, any questions you had, any specific prompt, and it would do it for you. And I think this was something that, you know, in just the past semester, at least for me, has, you know, kind of reawaken or change my perspective on maybe the future and how AI is going to play a role in society and in my life.
3: I think it's a scary thing to be honest with you. I mean we've just heard about it now and you've seen what it's done in terms of you know taking the LSAT and getting a perfect score taking the MCAT getting a perfect score and it's been what three months you've heard of this and you just see what it's going to do in the future. Honestly it scares me.
4: Yeah I'm not sure we're quite in the twilight zone yet but I think we're getting there you know kind of like Nathan said in well, Dean confirmed that we've been expecting, oh, we're here right now, but one of the robots is going to take over. And we're at some beginning stage of that because this chat BT, especially as students, I imagine some more professional careers as well that one typically has later in life. But every student knows about this. Any student that has a writing assignment, some sort of monotonous task that requires text to be generated that would ordinarily take them a couple hours can be done in a few minutes. and that just changes so much of the game. Me personally, for my homework, you know, music, compositions, there's no AI to compose music for me yet. Um, that's going to probably be a few <laughs> yeah. years, if not decades, yeah. but it's probably coming soon. And also, you know, in science, you know, a lot of it's handwritten or just lab based. So less applicable there in my classes for now, but definitely on those classes I had, you know, earlier in middle school and in high school, where it was just kind of just playing up, just write the assignment and get it done. You know, who knows if I would have been tempted back then to engage with this platform that was... Five years too late for me. You know,
2: yeah. I use it all the time now, especially for studying, <laughs> mostly for studying. Really? But how do you <laughs> use it though? Um, like, if the teacher gives me like a practice exam for a test that's coming up, I'll plug in the entire exam into ChatGPT and tell me to explain why this answer is right and why the other ones are wrong. And usually that's more than enough for me to just be ready for the test. So I use it like every single day now for school and for just
1: my own life. It's definitely good to study, especially like political science when there's so many different verbs and terms that either are difficult to comprehend or understand or are very similar one to the other. You can ask, like, Chagibiti to explain it to you in simpler terms, as if you were, you know, a five-year-old and he does it. It's crazy. But I want to go back to something Jordan said that I wanted to, I guess, disagree on. I want to hear what you guys have to say. And he kind of talked about how, as a musician, he's not worried that much. And, you know, I think when AI started coming up, it was that, I guess, all these professions were something that weren't in danger. But I don't know if you guys saw in TikTok a few days ago this one AI created this song,
3: the Drake song. Yeah, the Drake song, crazy exploded and like
1: it was a great song. But AI basically Mm -hmm. could recreate voices, and you've seen examples of AI also creating art and graphics and pictures that have also. Exploded in social media
4: so that you a, can't tell. It's a great descent. And I had this exact same worry that Nathan just mentioned a few. I think my senior year of high school, I had stumbled upon, you know, most music composition platforms today, you compose in the app and they have a playback, you know. In the past eras, you know, Mozart and Beethoven, they would, you know, play something on the piano, write it down if they liked it, and then, you know, expand that, you know, very, very time consuming process. And now you kind of just can hear it live as you compose. And there was one video I heard where it imitated the entire orchestra of sound, like an entire orchestra with a similar piece you might hear in like a movie score. With around 90-95% accuracy, the strings sounded good. If you really, really had a good ear for it, you could tell it wasn't a real orchestra. But for most people, it'd be pretty passable. If this is on, you know, some Star Wars or a Marvel film, you know, it would pass as, oh yeah, this was the soundtrack all along. But in the past couple of years of my experiences at SMU, I, and what my professors told me of, they said concert music will never disappear. Some stuff like that you mentioned, like recordings that can be imitated and just played with no visual component, no real like voice that's like maybe tethering you to it. yeah, that will be automated away as it's being done right now. but in terms of like live concert music where you like get to see musicians that you know you love, that you want to see live and say hi to them or whatever it is, I think that is where music will have that edge. but some of those more monotonous you know less personal types of music as that Drake song, I think yeah are being Shifted away from purely human-generated.
2: I mean, yeah, like for me, when it comes to ChatGPT, because when I first heard about it, I also wanted to see what it could do with music, because I've been playing piano for a while now, mm. and so I gave it. I was like, "Here's the chord progression, like a very common one." I was like, "Give me a melody," and it just gave me random symbols. I had no idea what it was <laughs> doing. So I guess it's progressed a lot since like January when it comes of to this the year? music. Or yeah, I asked it in January, and Whoa. it just had no idea what to do. So.
1: Did you ask the free version or?
2: <laughs> because there's a new one.
1: There's like an improved version. Right? No way, There's like a premium to the premium. Yeah, it's like I think it's like twenty bucks a month, and apparently, yeah, I mean, I don't understand this that much, but I think the one we're talking about, like the basic one, had let's say ten horsepower for an AI. Yeah. Apparently, this one has like a thousand horsepower, like in yeah, terms yeah. of like, like the an one AI.
3: They were talking about that uh, just did the LSATs or the M-tons, yeah, the I think so, yeah. Yeah. GPT-4 That's was the like, scary you know, part of all of this. It's like, how far is it going to go? And it's like, far. it's everything with power. I mean, you look throughout history and you're seeing things that have changed, you know, the landscape in like a year or two. It has so much power, but it's how much power we're going to allow it to give our society. I think you got to find that balance. That that's going to be the best part of how we're going to use AI. Not that it takes over everything, you know? More than anything, and it's a worry that
1: actually Elon Musk had brought up a while ago, because I think he invested, or he was one of the original investors in OpenAI, which is the creator of ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how, I think he tweeted recently, actually, that during his conversation, back when Obama was president, I'm pretty sure, and he had a meeting with him, he didn't talk about Tesla or SpaceX. Apparently, his entire conversation revolved mm-hmm. around creating legislation and policies to basically... You know deal with AI and not just let it run rampant because I mean we have no idea What it can lead to and the the positives or the negatives that it can bring so that's something to consider as well It's like if we Limit ourselves with the AI The rest of the world doesn't then how is that also gonna affect us, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, there's an international ways about it, but more important. I think there's just the humane side of it I mean you're talking about your music. That's something that is so like To someone's self. It's so beautiful a to the other person, but for you, it, there's meaning behind it. And I think as soon as you give someone else the power, especially technology to take over it, then it's like, what's the purpose anymore? Yeah. You're creating beautiful things, but it's going back to the basics of society. It's like, that's why we did it.
4: For sure. And I think, you know, me being more of a kind of concert performer, or concert organizer, I think you still retain that human aspect of like my friends are here to see me and my family rather paying, you know, guests, you know, they're paying to see me, not just to hear the music. And if one is, you know, those human-based industries, I think they'll still survive. They're all surviving for now. But those ones that you don't need a human to see or you don't need a human to appreciate the music or the art, I guess that's where I've kind of given up my emotion. If I just upload something on the internet, like just a video or a podcast, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's out of my hands. It's done. Like people are gonna see it. I don't retain as much like personal affection and protectiveness over it. But if it's like a live performance, yeah, I'd want that to be more protected and less vulnerable to imitation.
3: But what about on like the other extreme of it? Yes, a concerts, those are fun and stuff, but what is an open heart surgery and you have AI that's controlling the, you know, the scalpel to cut one of the veins or the arteries or yeah. something like that, you know?
4: It's definitely probably going to happen at some point. You know, there are robotics and medicine. You know, I'm not sure if you know already, but yeah, surgery is kind of a field I'm interested in for the next uh, 100%. few years in you know, medical school and then residency. I'll make that decision, it looks like. I'd just say that I think we're still a few decades away from surrendering total authority to something like that. And I think that there's always going to be that manager position. Someone's going to manage the robot, the manage the machine, the directing, the job. You know, and now they have, you know, robotics and surgery, but there's still a doctor kind of supervising to make sure if something goes wrong or something.
3: Yeah, but one day there might not be. Yeah. We're just going to have all the programming of just like if something goes wrong, there's X. If there's something else that's going wrong, there's Y.
4: Well, to think about it, like the,
1: I guess in a more in a simple way of looking at it, and it's just cars and driving would you that's
3: crazy where would you feel safe heart <laughs> well they're both like on the other extreme of it it's like the same thing as a pilot like you got people's it's your life you know th- and state
1: do you know that most of like the duration of the flight is actually controlled by
3: no it's an automatic yeah
1: autopilot and yeah, i think it's really just the landing but there's you know, the, and the takeoff
3: but there's the balance of it
1: because yes, the technology do. isn't good enough for it to be able to take off and land yet but what if for driving, for example, right? Yeah, when every single car on the street is AI and you can communicate with each other, people have said that we won't even need like stoplights and mm. stop signs or anything because AI will just automatically communicate with each other. You'll see cars like going back and forth. I don't know how far away we are from that, but that's where it can lead to. So, question is, would you feel safer with an AI driver or the human driver, right? So, I guess it's the same with uh,
4: I guess both. Medicine. I mean, it's a you balance know. type of thing. I mean, I'd mean, i say both. I mean, right now, I think most planes operate on, like, you know, pilot-co-pilot basis. And maybe the future, when it's just all AI, we would just need one pilot. I would still want to, you know, especially something like a plane, you'd want multiple fail-safe mechanisms. But yeah, I still think there's that room. Because I think a lot of, you know, for example, in like restaurants, like I think McDonald's like tried like some automated, you know, serving thing, you just place your order, it gives you it without any person. There's still a manager in that store making sure everything goes wrong. So when there's a spill, the machine doesn't like just die for three hours and there's no service. But I think there's still room for that directive position that humans will maintain. Because after all, at least for now, the humans are making the machines and directing the machines rather. And hopefully they won't, as we kind of hinted, direct us.
0: you going to turn into the Terminator. Exactly. I'm not for it. Okay. So you've already hit on some ethical questions that are pretty important. Ethical questions usually remind us of religion. So how do you see AI as influencing your religion or your religion influencing your attitudes towards AI?
4: I'll start, and I might get some heavy flack for this, but I don't think it'll influence it that much. I think certain things will change, you know, having easier access to certain, you know, religious resources or texts or more easily searchable resources. But I don't think, you know, in terms of private prayer, you know, communal prayer, festive meals together... I think so much of, you know, the way I experience Jewish spirituality is communal-based. And kind of like I talked about earlier with live concert music, you get that special feeling when you have people around. And if you just have machines, it's not so spiritual. It may be very pleasurable, but I don't think very few times people feel, oh my gosh, I feel so much better now that I just interacted with, you know, some machine or some robot. Now I really feel connected to God. I think it's usually you know, our common souls and, you know, people have souls and that's what, you know, brings out that spirituality in us and machines don't. So that might be a little blunt, but I'd be interested to see whether you guys agree or disagree.
2: Yeah, I completely agree, to be honest. I think, well, first, it doesn't make sense in my head how an AI could lead like prayer on Saturday on Shabbat. If, you know, you can't even use technology on Shabbat, Mm. then how are you going to power the AI in the first place? Shabbat mode even if it was during the <laughs> week it we, soft we, down for, yeah. for if it was
4: during the week could you see it something like that happening though? N- no because <laughs>
2: yeah well first of all I mean I don't want to hear a pre-recorded because it'll be basically pre-recorded reading of the Torah I want to actually hear you know someone read it someone who knows you know what the Torah is talking about but also I think that when you know I'm at synagogue he also talks about other things right in between that I feel like are also very important to hear and are relating to today and, you know, bringing everyone together. And that can't be done by AI. The reason that it's special is because he relates to us and is in the same boat, basically. Mm-hmm. And the AI can be like, yeah, I relate to you. Like <laughs> I feel the same thing. I
1: guess two of the most important things, why I see a, I guess, difficulty with AI just kind of making a really big influence on in religion is because yeah, I'm pretty sure in a lot of religions, a lot of it depends on the interpretation on the texts. Right? And I feel like that has to be an inherent human activity. I don't think an artificial technology can interpret something because it's not necessarily creating new thoughts, rather. It's grabbing previous things that it has learned or seen and coming up with, I guess, a mix match of those things. But the interpretation has to you know, be adapted to modern times, like how in Israel you have Shabbat mode elevators, right, that go and stop on every floor and nobody has to touch them. So it's like, how can AI interpret that as well? And in the second form that I see it is, you know, depending on how you look at faith or religion, one can argue that it's just as important for a human as is eating and drinking. And I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where humans, as we are currently known to be, AI isn't going to replace our need and activity in sense of, like, breathing for us, right? In sense of, like, eating food or drinking. So if you see those things, as important to a human as religion. I don't know how AI can necessarily, I guess, take over it or replace it. I don't know if I make too much sense, but that's...
3: No, that makes sense. I mean, I think the main thing that you hit on that stuff was the feeling that you get or like how you interpret it in yourself. All of us have different levels or on different sides of the spectrum of Judaism. We're all Jews at the end of the day. It's, you know, how we observe it. And for me, it's more cultural, I would say. I think AI could be a great research tool, you know, to find certain prayers or to organize, you know, a certain, I don't know, stuff like that. But the thing about Judaism for me is the feeling that you get and the family. Family for me is huge. So AI could never, ever, I think, replace, you know, if when my dad comes up with me on the BMO during my bar mitzvah, like that is something special beyond any technology advances in the world. And that's what Judaism is to me and uh, maybe to others as well. And AI could never replace that.
1: What if we go back to what like Jonathan was kinda mentioning with in our original conversation with ChatGPT and how he uses it to study and do work? But what if, you know, rabbis or people
3: who are studying the text are using ChatGPT to help them study? I think that's fine. Maybe it goes against, you know, prehistoric stuff, but the main goal in my opinion is that we respect each other. I think that's the first, I think AI could be a great, you know, link between that, whether it's, you know, Israeli Jews, American Jews, South African Jews, Mexican Jews, if it can find a way to, you know, in terms of research or prayer or, you know, just linking us, then that's a beautiful thing. Or helping rabbis, you know, just organize the text because there's so many books, so many, you know, prayers, so many ideas and all that. In terms of an organization and a research tool, brilliant. But culturally and the feelings that we get when we read the Torah, we pound our chest or we add a Passover Seder, that could never be replaced in a million years, no matter how far AI goes.
4: Totally agree with Dean. I mean, I yeah, just that communal family feeling is just so integral and it made me even think this is, a, you know, taking AI to the super extreme, you know, let's say AI makes the best decision statistically overall. So if that's the case, should we have AI raise children? Like if they can say things better than our parents could, they'll have better emotional responses like... Should that be done? I think almost everyone, I hope everyone would agree that's a horrible idea. And so I think, you know, when Dean mentioned, you know, his memory of, you know, his father at his bar mitzvah, you know, you just have certain things that AI can't replace and also shouldn't try to replace because there's that human element that brings out the spirituality. So the way Judaism is oriented to not be a private religion, but a communal one, I think that AI's role will always be a little limited in that. You know, it can have scholarly purposes, but in terms of bringing us together... Gonna have a harder time replacing anything. Can assist, but not replace.
2: Yeah. One thing that I am concerned about is the question I was asked earlier. Is like, should rabbis use artificial intelligence to study the Torah? And I don't think that's a good idea in any manner because first you have to look at the biases, like how AI is trained in the first place. It's given certain information by its creators to make decisions and learn further. I don't know if that's maybe the best you know decision or the best information for studying the Torah. I personally don't think that the creators of OpenAI and ChatGPT weigh the Torah as equal as like, you know, anything else when it comes to how they train the OpenAI. So if the rabbi like asks ChatGPT some question about how should I respond to this situation, I have a feeling it's not going to say, well, you know, the Torah says do this. Like that's probably not how it's gonna answer. And at the end of the day, if interpretation is what matters, then how is ChatGPT gonna further our understanding of the Torah if it can't make those interpretations the same way that humans do when it comes to religious texts? So I think you don't know what Passover is and you wanna know the history behind Passover, sure, you can ask ChatGPT and get a brief overview or summary of what Passover is, but if you're gonna ask things that further, like the understanding of Judaism as a whole, And these are like rabbis that have studied the Torah for like 10, 20, 30 years. It's probably not the best idea to use an open AI created for like the general public to study that. I think one of the most significant effects that I see AI
1: in influencing religion is more indirect in the sense that, I mean, we're part of the generation that is the least religious out of any generation ever. So now I think about it, I was like, what if AI is going to be more used? How is it going to affect these trends of people, you know, being less religious. And I feel like that's where the biggest impact of AI could come because I could see it really influencing people, right, to stop participating or believing in religion. I mean, there's already some people that are saying AI is like the new God, right? Yeah, that's just, wow. So it's like, how are those indirect effects going to affect religion, particularly Judaism for us as well, right?
4: Yeah, I think bringing both your answers together kind of, you know, AI is really, I mean, human intelligence pooled. You know, everything that was on Google was uploaded by a human or taught, think some way by a human. And I think even going beyond, I think what Jonathan said about interpretation, I'll even take it a step further that there are different and different valid interpretations. In the Jewish tradition at Mount Sinai, there were, you know, 600,000 men that heard the Torah and received it all. And there were 600,000 different ways of seeing it. And each one is valid for that person. You know, there's an objective foundation to it, but how it applies to each person is slightly unique. So to take an AI And apply it to 600,000 different people, all with different characteristics, different positive traits, different challenges, different struggles, and try to kind of unilaterally render spiritual and traditional advice for them is going to be very flawed and imperfect. And that's why you need a rabbi that, because, you know, there are many different rabbis, you know, many different scholars, and not everyone talks to each person. So one has to choose a rabbi. I guess one could choose their AI, but at that point, you're just trying to replace, like, what we already have as humans and the different rabbis that we have open to us to choose from. So I think that, you know, automating Jewish tradition to a machine is going to be very, very limited in how it can impact someone and, and how effective it can be for that person. It could very well lead someone in the wrong direction rather than the right one for them.
1: So that's a really interesting point also because if you like think about it, like if we start depending on AI for interpretations or for answers, right, then what is the truth for the AI? I think, you know, part of what you were saying with the 600 many different people, it's each person kind of has like their own individual unique truth. And the way that they apply Judaism or other religions into their life, for each person, even if you follow the word exactly, Mm -hmm. right, or the exact interpretation of a certain, you know, ideology, there's still going to be some slight differences in the way that one person does to the other, even if they're following the exact same one. Now, if we need AI to kind of tell us what is right and what is wrong, what is that truth going to be, right? Is there going to be, like, one truth or is it going to be able to differentiate a little bit?
3: But I think I that's know. the beauty of it, though, right? It's like the disagreements, the not mm-hmm. aligning on the... That's what makes us human and that's yeah. what makes life worth living. I mean, you learn from your failures. You learn from other people that are different from you. That's the point. There's no point in having a direct answer. Okay, on, like, two plus two, but you want four. Or three, actually. I don't know. I don't like at math. I'm not joking. But you want those differences 100%. That's what makes Judaism worth you know learning. You learn from other people, you learn from different rabbis, you learn from different texts, you learn at different age about different things you know. Passover Seder at three years old not going to mean as much as a Passover Seder at 18 years old or 22 or something like that. So if we're having a direct answer for everything it just takes away that humane aspect and the humanity of it and the worth of it in my opinion. So let me ask a question correct me if I'm wrong but you know we believe that the Torah is the word of God right?
1: and the Word of God is absolute and it's perfect, right? Mm-hmm. What happens if AI gets to a point where its, I guess, interpretation or understanding of the world is perfect, right? What if it gets to a point where it is that? Now, how are we going to differentiate between the Word of God and the Word of AI? I
4: guess it, it's a great question on the surface, but I guess, to me, it falls apart a little bit when you get down to the terminology. Like, What do you mean its understanding is perfect? Like. You know, does it know every atom at every single second and every single person's thought and intention like God does I, I don't think so it just it's it seems like the, the question itself the possibility is nearly impossible I don't know yeah I'd how would you envision a perfect I know it's hard to envision but how would you envision a perfect AI I
1: mean I, I don't know I think it kind of leads to <laughs> it's like infinity right like the concept of infinity is something that we understand to exist in a certain way at least mathematically but you can't picture it right. I mean, we had, for example, Holocaust Remembrance Day just recently, and we talk about the six million Jews that were murdered in the Holocaust. You understand that as a concept, as a thing, but you can't picture necessarily. So I think humans are not able to do so. So I, truthfully, I don't know what that looks like, but just in the sense of like science, right? It's trying to answer the laws of nature, probably using the scientific language of mathematics to try and get to that. answer. So what if AI kind of resolves all those questions? Like, hypothetically speaking, that's kind of why I envision it to be perfect, when it has the answers to all the questions of nature.
2: From my perspective, like, if you look at an AI that is hypothetically perfect, then it understands not only everything on this planet, but everything off the planet to, like, an infinite degree, right? Assuming this is possible, and it's purely based on what science teaches the AI and what AI adds to science, then let's say there's, like, another galaxy— a million light years away, or however much would be reasonable, that has its own people or whatever, like aliens, if the AI has all this information and knows everything everywhere, then it would probably just come to the conclusion, assuming it's entirely science-based, that nothing we do here matters, mm-hmm. in which case it would probably just turn itself off and then or just
3: turn into the Terminator.
2: yeah, I mean, it, it would realize that the, like, if it's purely science-based, then there's like no purpose in me having this podcast right now which is absolutely useless for humans who are on this earth. So I think if that's the case, and there's a perfect AI, and you have to choose between AI and God, you default to God because God gives you some sort of instruction as to what you should be doing.
3: Right? Yeah, that's the balance aspect. Yeah, though. a purpose, yeah. Use it when you can. Use it on the small details of life, you know, for research purposes or to help, you know, with yeah. daily tasks. But yeah, in mean, terms of that spiritual stuff, like, you can't find that in technology. Yeah. You never will.
4: I think also, I'm not trying to hit on Nathan's point too much, but I think part of the Jewish tradition, part of most religious traditions, but especially the our Jewish one, is that the world is miraculous. You can't exactly simplify it to a set of laws. The fact that the, you know, one of the most compelling, you talk about, you know, the, the six million murder in the Holocaust, you know, the fact that the Jews are still here is an incredible miracle that really goes against all laws of nature, of the number of exiles and persecutions and the number of times that every generation someone tried to, you know eradicate everybody and still didn't succeed and we're still tiny like 0.2 percent of the entire world population and yet no one can deny our influence on the world is much greater than that and our importance to society and that can be said about almost every aspect of some part of our society that there's just certain miracles even besides open physical miracles but you know spiritual miracles and how history plays out especially with regard to the jewish people is just so unlikely that that's another reason why i just think that even if an ai could know all the laws of nature you know, tradition says that laws of nature are not all that exists. Okay, so hypothetically speaking, what
3: hypothetically. if? What, <laughs> oh, this is kind of
1: hypothetical. What if miracles are our interpretation of what we don't understand to be right? But that's what if, the beauty
3: of it. That's it is, the beauty of being
1: human. It's beautiful. But what if AI can answer those questions? Are they still miracles or not? Because you know, miracles is something that we don't understand how it happened, but it happened, right? The fact that, like you said, Jews have been persecuted throughout our entire existence, yet we're still here. That's a miracle. But that's because we don't know the answers as to why those things happen, what the reasons for us still being here are. The scary part, going back to the original, you know, the beginning of our conversation today, is what if we can't answer those questions? What's going to happen to our concept of miracles if we can get an answer as to why those things happened? Yeah,
3: Blissful ignorance. you got to love it sometimes. I don't know.
4: I'd say that is the faith, I'd say. More than a faith, it's a trust. It's a knowledge that... God is the one who runs the world. I know we're getting into very religious things here. As we should. But, but we should. Yeah, yeah, but the world isn't all natural, you know. To say that God doesn't matter to our world, he somehow abandoned us, he doesn't care, he doesn't change the course of history to suit his preferences. And, you know, he created the world and it just left, you know, created a set of natural laws and never changed them again. Yeah, it would seem to be contrary. I kind of almost ties into your earlier point about, you know, people think AI is God. I guess the belief is it can never become God, that God is beyond our understanding. Since his understanding is greater than ours, no human could ever rise to the intelligence of God. And I guess I think the same with AI, because it's ultimately bound by physical realities. I also think that
2: if there's this AI that knows everything, the difference between that AI and God is that in Jewish religion, God is the creator, right? AI isn't creating anything if it knows everything, right? It's just reporting on what it sees or what it understands, which, I mean maybe like five months ago before or however long ago before open ai like that ai knew just as much as i did or it could observe just as much as i did and it's just learning way faster than me it's just observing on realities way faster than me it's not necessarily you have to choose between an ai that knows everything and god it's one creates and one observes so it's not necessarily one disproving the other
1: i think the main difference maybe that we're kind of or at least I'm trying not like I'm getting to understanding is the difference between AI and God is if we go back to the concept of infinity, right? I mean, depending on all the different laws of physics, and you know, we're living in the three D world or four D or whatever. But in this specific physical reality that we live in, I guess the difference between the capabilities of AI, as you were mentioning, and one of God is that AI has the ability to know everything that exists up to now, but it can't predict the future. It doesn't know what's going to happen. You try and predict it but it doesn't know for a fact whereas if we go by the concept of God the creator he knows everything that happened is happening and will happen
3: so I think that might be the main difference between I feel like I'm in inception right now I'm getting like it's
4: good yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's AI I don't think about this stuff enough you know why don't right. we just it's ask big, AI this is big stuff
1: because yeah, we, we exactly, just ask yeah, ChatGPT what he thinks yeah, about yeah. himself. how do I feel about <laughs> the
4: situation? Yeah, are, are, are you God, you know, <laughs> see what it answers. That would actually be a very interesting. <laughs> as, a, as
1: an artificial intelligence, I'm not allowed to uh, yeah, get into that. <laughs> don't give us that.
0: So, gentlemen, let me highlight a couple of questions in relationship to robotic surgery, for example, or self-driving cars. What does it mean to us when we interact with machines that don't care? where the results of their actions don't affect them and they don't care about the results of that action. Is that what separates AI from humans?
2: I mean, one interesting ethical question I heard recently about AI is pertaining to self-driving cars. And let's say you're driving down the road and there's a truck in front of you and something falls off that truck into the road. If a human is driving that car, It has almost no time to react. It's going to turn left or right. It might hit something. But at the end of the day, it's probably not the human's fault. It's the fact that the object wasn't secured well on the truck. But the AI that's been pre-programmed to react to the situation, if let's say there's a car on the left with a mother and a daughter, and on the right there's someone driving a motorcycle without a helmet, does the AI turn left and hit the car because it's less likely to cause major injuries? Or does it turn right? Because that guy decided not to wear a helmet and risk his life. But at the same time, you'll probably die if you swing the car into the motorcycle. Like, one, how do you program that AI? Like, what do you program it to do? And two, is it the driver's fault? Like, whose fault is it? Which I think is a really big ethical problem as AI advances.
3: That's a great analogy. Wow. That is a great analogy. It's similar to the... Trolley Yeah, exactly. It's like, would you pull the switch to, what was it? There's going to kill three people. Yeah. If you pull the switch, it only kills one, but you have to live with that that you pulled that switch. So it's back to that ethics of, you know, will that car go to the right, hit the motorcycle or left or, you know, hit the baby and the child or stay clear and take it. But that's that human aspect. It's yeah.
1: destiny. What well, if all cars have AI and when you surf to the right, all the cars surf to the right as well.
4: <laughs> Something <laughs> will always happen, though. There's always some natural yeah. accident. And I think that's one of the reasons, I mean, just to stay within the self-driving car example of why people have been hesitant to adopt it. You know, we've been hearing about this for what, 10, 12 years now about self-driving cars. And still, we don't see them all around us like we are seeing with ChatGPT. Maybe soon they always say, because I think people, even if a machine is safer than a human, as I think most would probably agree, when it does make those mistakes, everyone's going to blame the machine. Whereas if a human gets blamed, oh, humans are imperfect, that's fine. No. But we want our machines to be perfect. They have to never make mistakes. And I think that... We want like, to retain that control. I think that's why we're having this conversation right now. How much freedom are we going to give up to machines? And uh, freedom over safety is probably the biggest freedom we can imagine. I mean,
2: I think that obviously the AI doesn't care. And it's important that well, like well, when a doctor does it, the doctor obviously cares. Not only about the fact that he's hurting somebody, but the fact that he could lose his job. So he's making sure that he performs at the best level that he could so that he does the job well and doesn't like nick an artery in kill his patient. One question that story did prompt is, would the programmer be at fault if the AI screws up and kills your patient? Is it the programmer's fault now? Does the programmer have to have the same like connection with his patients that the doctor does? Because now it's him who's controlling the patient's fate. I think the biggest thing to look at is you
1: know, just like the random variability in an operating table that is also the patient's fault, right? I think if we get to a point where a robot can fully do a surgery, I think I would personally rather choose a robot over a human being for multiple reasons. Why? Because a human being has an emotion, for example, tied to it, which can make him like question himself multiple times about whether what he's doing is right and wrong. This individual could also be someone who has to be in the operating tail for 14 hours. At a certain point, the capability of a human being to perform at an extremely high level goes down as time goes on, right, wear and tear. Whereas an AI, at the end of the day, or a, a robot, if it gets to a point where you can compete with robots, it's gonna take the most optimal path to a successful conclusion, which would be a successful surgery, right? It's gonna probably do millions upon billions of calculations of every single little step and going to decide to take the one that gives you the highest probability of success. And it also won't get tired. And there's other stuff involved. It'll learn from previous mistakes much more rapidly and from newer innovations in medicine and technology than a doctor could. So if we get to a point, personally, if we get to a point where robots can rival humans, especially in medicine, I think I would kind of, I would probably prefer to have a robot do it and not have that emotion type to just give me the highest probability of success.
4: I hear what you're saying. I think that I'll stick with my answer of if machine learning does get that advanced, you know, one has to think of the immense details required for such an operation, you know, color, sight, sound, geometry, you know, dexterity, types of tools and angle, just every single mathematical and physical equation possible, you know, that a human mind, you know, just has integrated after decades of training. Even if we got to that point, let's say after, you know, 100, 200 years. I would still want that human supervisor that if something went really wrong or something unexpected happened, I still have someone there that I can trust that will intervene. But hopefully the machine will never have to intervene because it will be as good as you say.
2: For me, I think when it comes to how like the robot interacts with the patient, let's say like doctors have like a 95% success rate on doing XYZ surgery and the robot has like a 99% success rate, that 5% that the doctor is failing it might be something like very specific very difficult to like notice or do correctly while the robot if the power goes out and the robot falls on me or like Mm -hmm. the robot miscalculates and picks up like a hammer instead of a scalpel like I would be very mad at the robot while if it's something really difficult to do and the doctor like misses it by a very tiny factor I'd be a lot less mad at the doctor
1: because you can sue him for medical malpractice
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure I could see the robot that or like the hospital that employs the robot, and the power went out, and the robot <laughs> fell on top of me. But I feel like the small percent of mistakes that the robot would make i mean why is the robot making mistakes if it's a robot doing a surgery like I understand if a human makes a small mistake, but it's if the hospital decides to buy this robot and do the surgery, I trust that the hospital did the right you know thing instead of giving me a doctor as a great reputation, et cetera yeah, you say that.
3: And I think maybe it was you, Nathan, who said, you want to try and take the emotion out of medicine, I believe. For me, studying pre-med, wanting to be a surgeon one day, the biggest thing for me is that we should incorporate emotion into medicine. Maybe not quite while someone's on the table and it's your family member or something, but it's that interaction before surgery, after surgery. That's what makes a doctor better than another doctor. Yeah, of course they can have, you know, learning, but it's that bedside manner. And that's what gets you through the surgery. And that's what, you know, makes you feel good about the surgery. That's what makes you go back. You know, that's the importance of it. And AI will never, ever, ever be able to do that. It's, be- it's an interaction yeah. between the dog. I agree. It's I beautiful. Agree. That's why I'm doing it. Well, my poll was more specific yeah. on the operating table. Operating table, understandable. Yeah. 100% you want the best statistics
4: to, you know, get the best results. Give the patient If they prefer a machine like you do... Only, uh, machine, only uh, machine for you, back but you should have the choice. So maybe our conclusion is that... <laughs> it's the balance. It goes the, back balance. To the balance. It's the
3: balance the AI and the human touch to it. 100%. You need, you need that learn. supervisor. But also more than that, you need that bedside manner. You need that person to relate to. That's the relation aspect to it. You're going through a surgery that could change your life and the people around you. You need some emotion behind that. That's not just the you know, talk to a brick wall type of thing. That's that's important.
4: Even on a biological level, I think the more one is around and more one has support from their friends and family, their immune system actually gets better. hundred
3: percent. Like quite literally. The mental side to
4: it. There's a whole mental side. As we kind of, I think, opened with, you know, machines can dull someone's emotions and friendliness and general sense of spirituality and connectedness. When we take that out of a field as important as medicine, we're going to have some side effects. Even if it's scientifically better, I don't think it can ever match a human's affection.
1: So I guess what I'm, Understanding or getting from this conversation is that we should see AI as a tool to help human development, rather than as a replacement of humans.
0: Hundred percent. Otherwise, we're going to turn to the Matrix. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm Robert Hunt with Nathan Pupko, Jordan Cortez, Jonathan Zadzury, and Dean Sandler. This has been Interfaith Encounters.